Hope you had a lovely weekend. Welcome to a brand new week of Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Now, Louise, you have children. Uh, I've had children in my time. I have grandchildren now. And uh, now and again, we'd go out for something to eat. You know what I mean? You know, mm-hmm. when they're smaller, you don't really... Uh, maybe some people do all the time, but we were now and again. I don't know about yourselves. But anyway, when you go out to eat, sit down in a restaurant and that, are you ever conscious about... Other people, you know what I mean? And if they're creating a bit of a racket around. No? Or does it... I'm more conscious about if my kids are making ra- a racket yes. when they were younger. Okay. Because it'd nearly, be too much, it'd nearly be too much stress to bring them out. Right. You know, because they're kids and to get them to sit down and be quiet for near two hours or whatever, it's, it's tough. It's a tough call, like. So you'd nearly avoid it. I would. Yeah, and you know, we were the same in our day and I know now we've tried to arrange things with the grandchildren and by times you just say, oh, look at, it's too much hassle. Mm. You know what I mean? Because you are conscious of, you're conscious of other people who are out eating as well and, yep. you know, may not have children Kids with them. Kids firing to ketchup around the place. Stop. <laughs> and then they're around. Parents. Yeah. <laughs> That's the parents we're talking about yeah. there. Uh, you know, you know, but we'll go, I, I want to talk about this for a moment because... I spotted this story in the Sunday Times. Sarah Breen had it. And it's about a, a, a restaurant in America. Tocoa is the name. It's Tocoa Riverside Restaurant in Georgia. And a family went out with their children to eat there. And when they went to pay the bill, they were looking at the bill and there was a $50 surcharge on the bill. And they inquired what the surcharge was for. And she said, did you not look at the terms and conditions? It's if your children are too noisy, there's really a fine of $50. Yeah. Um, And what what do they deem as too noisy? I mean, is there an acceptable level that they can't go over or is it just um, if they're running rings around the place like? The mum of the children, they were between three and eight years of age, said she didn't really feel they were that noisy you know what I mean mm. so she did she honestly didn't she had maybe in, in a way I tune out or whatever uh, but the, the restaurant offers a children's menu uh, which means the children are welcome there mm. um, uh, but at the end of the day when they went to pay the bill there was a 50 euro fine for uh, noisy yeah. children that's wrong so wrong on every level mm, it's it, I've just wondered when, I, children, when I saw should, it. and they should be thanking them for bringing custom yeah. to the restaurant like yeah now, I did talk about this on the show sometime before and I got a little hot water about it. Uh, when Why, I, would you agree with the fine? No, I don't per se agree with the fine, but I do say that it's the responsibility of parents who bring children mm-hmm. to restaurants to control them because there are lots of other people there who go out for a quiet meal or, you know what I mean, or an only adult company and they don't want a racket going on. You know yeah, what I mean? Well, I would agree with that. I mean, you don't leave a child scream and the place down like you, yes. one of you generally gets up and brings them outside until they either calm down or else they just leave with them like, yeah, yeah, that, they don't just leave them that, to that, be that's good, and good logic them, like. but there are people who just say oh you know they can muddle through this and the racket happens and it affects other people and you know they go on their merry way then and people maybe are a bit annoyed they're in the restaurant as well I did say before you have fast food places like mm-hmm. Supermax and McDonald's and Burger King and uh, KFC and place like that where you can go with children and they can do what they want really. Yeah, well what about what about adults too noisy? 
you're trying to oh, enjoy a quiet yeah, meal and can be. a gang of lads come in they can be. and start roaring and shouting and singing and you know I agree but um, I wonder if anyone listened to us today anything to say on this or experience it what do you think a 50 or a fine for noisy children 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text I have somebody standing by I want to have a chat with her name is Julie O'Donoghue and she's the owner of the lovely Jiggle and Jump Cafe and Trim afternoon to you Julie how's it going <laughs> Well, how's it going after you hear that little chat between myself and Louise? What do you make of this? Well, when I first, when, when Louise got in touch and told me about the article, I obviously went and read it. Um, <clears throat> whereas I myself can, you know, relate to, to bringing kids to restaurants and avoiding certain restaurants for that reason. Because my kids now wouldn't be the quietest kids around. Mm. Um, we do try, like we, we either, I, I'm great at playing games of mine while we're sitting down waiting for the food to arrive, um, whether it's quizzes or other things. Um, and, you know, they, they're never overly noisy. Now, if they were up and running around and pulling out of tables or whatever, then, yeah, you'd kind of say, listen, you know, but you, you would politely go over to someone and say, excuse me, but for health and safety and, you know, the other customers, can you please, you know, control your, mm. your children? Um, but fining someone $50 for not parenting properly, I mean, how do you determine yeah. what's, what's not parenting properly? And if they have a kid's menu, to me, they're open, they're serving kids. So it's ridiculous that they would have... A charge, and and I think I read within the article there was a gentleman who had his children in, and he said they they were on their iPads sitting there until the food arrived. Then the food arrived and they ate, and then when he was paying the bill, his wife actually took the kids out of the restaurant down to the river, and he got fined fifty dollars. <laughs> like, how how do you how do you justify fifty dollars extra? I mean, as it is, people are crying out for customers to come in their door. Mm. And this place are, are fining <laughs> because kids were maybe a little loud. But mm. by the sounds of that gentleman, it didn't sound like his kids were unruly in any way. No, and, and, and that was certainly a case where, you know, they were, uh, you know, on the screen time, that's another issue altogether, but they were stuck into that and uh, there wasn't a level of noise at all. Tell me about you, Jiggle and Jump. You welcome uh, families and children to your place. Of course, yeah. yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, we, it was something that, you know, when we lived over in the US, there were lots and lots of places similar to go to. Now, they didn't serve teas and coffees and I felt well, this would be fantastic in Ireland, but you couldn't get away without having your coffee and tea and mm. scone or something to, to eat with it. So that was where the idea kind of, you know, started in my mind that, you know, I, I wanted to open a play cafe. So, you know, so that people did have somewhere to go. Like I myself, when I dropped the other, the elder, older kids to school, I'd want to go somewhere to chat with friends but I spent my time chasing after my little fella mm. or trying to kind of keep him happy in a high chair stuffing his face with you know crap pretty much because I wanted to sit down and drink my tea while it was hot and you know have a chat with the ladies so it never really worked out and that's why I wanted a place where people could come and you know the, there's a play area in the in the back it's totally separate so it's not like you're 
your playgroup type of situation where, you know, you're standing there with your cup of tea and there's kids running all around you, you know. So it is separate. People are asked, you know, to supervise their kids. We've, like, rarely, rarely had a time where, you know, you would have a kid that is completely, you know, losing the the run of themselves. Yeah. And if it, if it has happened in the past, parents are very, very quick to go in and say, listen, you can't be doing that. We're going to have to go if you keep that up. You know, so we don't have issues with unruly kids and, you know, things getting thrown around or anything like yes. it. So, so you know, there you go. You're regarded, Jiggle and Jump is a place for parents and children. It is regarded as a place to go where you can go. They can make any noise they want as long as they don't wreck the joint and uh, go wild or whatever. You welcome them. Does that then you know, confine you to that type of business? Or do you find other people who come who don't have children just for a coffee or whatever? They might meet friends who do have kids. But right. yeah, unfortunately, that's been an issue that we have faced. And we've considered kind of giving the place maybe a facelift so that people know we have signs outside to say you don't need kids to come yes. in. You know, that we do takeaways as well. And Yes. But unfortunately... We've we've kind of yeah we've hit we've hit a, a bad spell and yeah things aren't looking too good for us at the moment. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I I really am because what you provide is really really lovely. But I I could see that when you go that road, you sort of you you're in a niche. You know what I mean? And and maybe that's yeah. the what's got into the minds of people. And you need to tell people that there is. And then again, you'll come up against that situation. People are probably saying, "Well, if you go over there, there's going to be happy kids over there, and you won't enjoy a cup of coffee." You know what I'm saying? That is perhaps yeah. in people's minds, which is not the case. I'm not saying that at all today. But you are certainly you wouldn't be finding anyone for the children. That's for sure. God, no, not at all. Yeah. Not at all. And like I said, I mean, like in the, the nearly five years we've been open, I've never found myself having to go over and say, can you please, you know, make sure that your child is, you know, behaving themselves yes. or that they don't hit or because parents, you know, are aware that you do need to kind of keep an eye yes. and make sure that your kids aren't obviously pulling up things and, you know, mm. risk pulling them down on top of themselves or any of these kind of things. And I suppose especially with the way insurance has gone and the fact that there are fewer and fewer places. Like this time last year, I had been told that my insurance company, the policy wasn't going to be renewed mm. and I had to go looking for a new insurance policy. Mm. And like that, you know, a lot of places have been let down by insurance companies yeah. because... Insurance has just gone sky high. Mm, through the roof. Yeah, we've we've been uh, dealing with that across the board here on the show for, for a while now. Um, there's a message in from Melissa. Yeah, children should be out on family events anywhere. But, says the listener, I never allow my children to leave the table for fear of a staff member dropping hot food on them or another customer or even on themselves. And I'm just laughing uh, to your guest there. Uh, isn't the world great today? God bless technology for the iPad, says that listener there. I love your message. Uh, thank you for coming to us. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. But anyway, I don't think that restaurant, going back to the original story, Sarah Breen's story, I think that restaurant, as you say, they have a children's menu or a kid's menu, we like to call it. They welcome them. They're not going to be uh, flavour of the month if this continues. No, certainly you know, not. They're certainly uh, shooting themselves in the foot. Back to you. Um, 
you're heading into the Christmas time, the holidays will be coming up and that as well. Is it that tight for you? Are you really, you know, uh, you know? Yeah, we're yeah, we're yeah. we're due to renew our insurance now in January, and so um, we've kind of we did a little promotional video there recently, and um, thought that that might be enough to kind of push us through, mm. but. Because I, I run another side, you see, to my business. So I run an after-school club. Yes. And that is just absolutely flying. Right. So I'm, I'm out the door. I don't even have enough spaces for, for the kids that are looking for spaces in the after-school. But unfortunately, I'm actually funding the Play Cafe from my after-school yes. at the moment. Yeah. Okay. Because I just, yeah, it's it's... Yeah, not able to, yeah. between rates and electricity and the cost for supplies even going. And, you know, I, I try and get everything locally. So I go to Super Value and just the prices just keep going up and up and up. And I've done my best to not increase prices. And it's just, yeah, it's finally kind of, you know, hit a stage where I can't increase prices now. But, you know because I'm not getting enough people in the door anyway. Yeah. And that's at the prices they are. Mm. So whether it's cost of living prices or I, I don't know what it exactly it is, we've had like a new estate has been built in Trim. Yeah. And yet 75% of my customers are from outside of Trim. Yeah. Oh, look, I, we hear what you're saying and it's a familiar story with others as well. Anyway, look, I'm, I'm, I'm delighted to talk to you today. Children always welcome at Jiggle and Jump. Support local. That's our ethos here on LMFM Radio. Do check out Jiggle and Jump in Trim. She'd love to see you there, uh, our Julie, and you'll be doing her a big favour as well, especially on the run into Christmas and the end of the year. I wish you good luck in the future, no matter what way you go. Thank you so much for joining That's me on the great. show Thanks today. Thanks so much for, for having me on the show. Not at all. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. Julio Dunahoo there from Jiggle and Jump Cafe in Trim. Children, welcome, always. Hi, Jerry. I've been to restaurants where adults are noisier than the children. That could have been me in that restaurant, I have to say. Uh, question for you, Jerry. Why do families go to eat out and children are on the screens, parents on their phones? What about the art of conversation? I couldn't agree with you more. Let's move on. A late lunch this afternoon. Sad news the weekend. Ben Don died suddenly while away on holidays in uh, the Middle East. John Kieran's former editor of the Irish Mirror journalist, is on the line with me. John, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jerry. You've been uh, posting me just spotted there on social media in uh, recent hours. You owe your life to Ben Don. Tell us the story. Um, well, this was uh, an incident that happened about uh, in uh, 2010, and it was uh, January 2010, and it was six weeks after my wife Karen's mother had died suddenly on Christmas morning. And uh, I was down in Cork, and I was due to give a, a speech at a media conference um, uh, along with Ben. And uh, I think it was organised by the National Newspapers of Ireland or the Press Council, one of them at the time anyway. And I was down in Cork for two days, but I hadn't been feeling very well. And um, what I didn't realise, but I know now, but I had all the symptoms of internal bleeding. And I just didn't know what was wrong with me through pure medical in- ignorance. And uh, anyway, uh, I didn't feel really well at all that day. And I kind of deteriorated through the morning. And in the afternoon, I briefly, I, I, I met Ben in the foyer and uh, his driver. And then I just suddenly got really ill. And I started vomiting up um, black black blood um it was coming from my body 
and then I collapsed uh, and I was in a really, really bad way. And then um, his driver, who to this day I don't know his name, uh, I, I collapsed on the ground and they ran and they helped me and uh, his driver was brilliant. And Ben went and got a, a rang and got an ambulance and, uh, you know, was very caught right at that. He realised that I was very, very ill um, and that was something seriously gone wrong. Um, and he didn't know me, but he was very kind from what I remember. And I was in a bit of a haze, to be honest, and seriously ill. And he got an ambulance there within five minutes. So they had offered if the ambulance didn't come within five minutes, they were going to bring me themselves to the hospital. Uh, the Mercy Hospital was only about a three to five minute drive from the hotel in Cork in the city centre. Um, so Ben got the ambulance, the ambulance arrived, and they ended up being carted off. And they offered to come with me, but I said no, that was okay. And, and the paramedics took over and looked after me. But I will also always be grateful for him because I ended up being rushed into intensive care in the Mercy and having several blood transfusions that day. Um, and I was my whole body was in the danger of being poisoned because there was that much internal bleeding going on. And what I had was a perseverated ulcer. And that's exactly what happened. Um, and um, I was in bad shape. And um, I ended up then... Been in hospital in Cork for about 10 days. I was in intensive care for a few days. My poor wife had to come down in a state of panic. And my parents, my late father, Johnny, who you knew well at the time, and mm. my mum. And uh, and I ended up um, being down there for about, I think it was about 10 days. And then I ended up being off work. I was uh, spent about two months off work recovering to give my body a whole chance to recover. And the doctors wouldn't let me go back to work for about two months afterwards. Um so it was a horrific experience, but I'll always be thankful to Ben Dunn, who was a man that I didn't know, really, to be honest, and his driver, for what they did to help me that day. And that they were so kind, and they realized very quickly I was in bad shape. And only they acted so suddenly, uh, to be honest, I don't think I'll be around. That's, you know? uh, that's really special to uh, recall that uh, trauma in your life. Did you ever come across him subsequently, John? No, I didn't. And the greatest regret I have is I didn't actually kind of meet him afterwards to thank him for what he did, you know. But I, I know a lot of people who knew Ben Dunn and they worked with him over the years. And I, I know two or three of his friends. And, uh, um, uh, and you know, everyone, you know, anyone who ever knew who worked from, uh, you know, I always had good things to say about him, you know. Yeah, he was a tough man to work for, but he was also very kind. And I think there was a kindness that was in him that people loved. And he was also very generous not only with his own time, but with his own money. And he would have co- contributed a huge amount of money to charity that people in Ireland really don't have a clue about, you know. But he was a, he was a larger-than-life character. Uh, he never forgot, even though he was one of the richest men in the country, he never behaved like that. He was always very much um, a man of the people, from anyone I know who were dealings with him. Um, and uh, he knew who put the bread in his table. And, uh, you know, he just loved the Irish people and he could relate to them. And for years when he ran the business, as did, to be fair, his sister since she took over Margaret Heffern, you know, Dunn stores have always given Irish people great value for money. Yeah. Uh, and he, he, you know, he really moved the business on in the 10 years he was in charge. When his dad died, he really moved the business on and he, he grew the turnover from 300 million to a billion. He moved the number of shops, I think, from 67 to 93 during his time in charge. Yeah nationwide, you know, uh, and he did a hell of a job for the business. And then his sisters took over. He was loosened, as we all know, in the family feud. But they, thank God, they, they made up in recent years. And him and Margaret Heffernan were talking again, which was mm. always good. But you know, I'd always be, on a personal level, and that's what I wrote about 
uh, my column in the mirror tomorrow and it's up on the website this afternoon uh, was uh, I'll always be thankful for the day the big man have saved my life Oh, it's lovely to hear. I heard a lovely story about him on a, another radio station yesterday. Birmingham's pub, he was in having a pint and he looked at the carpets on the floor and they were right. shocking. And he said to the owner, those carpets are, are awful. Would you not think he changed them? And anyway, he, he, he subsequently left. The next morning, a whole team arrived. Uh, I think it was from Des Kelly Carpets. Took up all the carpets, fitted new ones. Your man didn't know what was happening. And Ben went back a few days later, had a pint, looked round them, nodded in satisfaction and was never seen in that pub again. Isn't that some story? That's oh, his generosity. Yeah, yeah. That's his generosity, uh, you know. Oh, well, that was the type of man he was. But like, I, I know from people who've done stories that, like, where there was cases where, uh, you know, staff, where their wives died suddenly or their husbands, mm. uh, who was an employee. Like, they have a great track record doing stories of looking after their people. Mm. And, and he was absolutely brilliant at it. Yeah. You know, he really was. And where tragedy knocked on the door of any of his staff, you know, but both, not only him, but all of the Dunn's family themselves would always arrive on the door uh, and look after the people. And that's yeah. what they did, mm. you know. And you got to give them credit for that. You know, and he, and he was there. He was there. But everybody who knew him would all say that he was a, he was a special kind of man mm. and that we never see. He was a larger than life figure. And that we'll never see, you know, the likes of him again, you know. Yeah. Uh, I think the, the kidnapping by the IRA had a huge negative effect on him and affected him for years. And he probably should have had counselling at the time, and he never did. And then later in life, he did go and get counselling and got treatment, and and he learned uh, how to live with it, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. But those six days in captivity certainly had a exactly. had a, had a very 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 negative uh, effect on him, yeah. you know. Exactly. And I think that's why he always felt indebted to Charlie Hawhey because. Charlie Hartley at the time uh, got involved in the, in the negotiations or helped made made phone calls to help with his release. So I think Ben Dunn always felt thankful to Charlie Hartley, and that's why he gave him money when Charlie Hartley was in financial trouble, mm. as we all know. You know, he yeah. gave him one point two million, yeah, which was almost. astonishing. And Ben Dunn always said he never regretted it mm. because he always had great time. For he us had indeed, he had indeed. John, you know? listen, great to talk to you today. Thanks so much for taking our call and telling your story. You're welcome, Jerry. God Take bless. care. John Kieran's there, former editor of Irish Mirror and journalist extraordinaire. Delighted to say hello to my next guest. It's been a while. She is Ireland's foremost sleep consultant. And when we've talked in the past, it's been mostly about children and small children. But today, she and we are moving on to the teenagers. Lucy Wolf, lovely to have you with us again. Hello and thank you for such a lovely introduction, Jerry. Not at all. Uh, well deserved, may I say. Well, look at when they move up into the teenage years, uh, the challenges are different with regard to sleep because, firstly, they have a mind of their own. Who are you, mammy or daddy? You know what I'm talking about. Yes, exactly. And I suppose you're so right. My focus has always been on young children and continues to be. But a couple of years ago, Planet Youth um, in the west of Ireland were doing lots of research that was showing up some really interesting information in terms of the correlation between the loss of sleep in our teenagers and um, their mood, their behaviours, their performance, their enjoyment of school, not even just the, let's say, how well they're doing in school, but just, and it was, it was just such interesting um, data. And as a parent of teenagers myself, and of course a sleep practitioner, I became involved in an information way to try and support uh, parents in supporting their teenagers because of course 
the teenage years are a huge time of adjustment for any individual. You know, there's lots going on and often sleep is often impacted as a result of that. Mm. Now, when you uh, spoke to me before, you were very good at the rules of thumb for babies and small children and how to work to achieve in those hours of sleep. As children move into teenage years, what is their need for sleep uh, on average? How many hours a night do they need? In this cohort, between age 12 and 18, you're looking somewhere between 8 to 10 hours. And the research that's been done in Ireland, the west of Ireland, was demonstrating that only about 26% of our young people are getting in even in the lower range of eight plus. Mm. And I guess I think that's startling. And look, as a parent, I can say myself, I guess it's not about putting everyone under pressure. But it is about trying to understand that this need of sleep continues. And of course, it has such a big impact on every aspect of the child's uh, experiences. And of course, at the, at the family itself. So again, we try and look maybe at creating an opportunity to get somewhere in the range of that, which very different to, let's say, your younger child, where I often begin to prescribe bedtimes. You know, where we have this kind of arbitrary embedded sleep for seven and work our way beyond or before that. It's different with the older child. And what we've got to try and do is try and figure out, A, how much sleep do they need? What time do they need to get, a, get, what time do they need to get up at in the morning for school? And maybe do a bit of backward math in order to try and see, can we create an opportunity for them to maybe even get close to what they're, they're needing? Yeah, and I'm just doing the calculations here as you speak. I'm a mm. nerd like this. Um, if, you, if you say they're up at half seven in the morning, you know, to have a breakfast and get yeah. out for school or whatever. If you were to hit the 10 hours, they'd need to be in bed at half past nine, you know, and, uh, yes. you know, yes. that's, that's a challenge, yeah. isn't it's it? It's very early and you see yeah. the challenge is multifold. So I'm very realistic here, Jerry. so don't get me wrong. And I have children in this cohort myself. Yes. Now, we do have lights out at 10 p.m. Okay. 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 And generally up about quarter to seven, seven o'clock to get ready for school. Okay. Mm. But I suppose there's two things going on here. If we could, you and I can talk about bedtimes and maybe what I'm doing or what another person is doing. But also what's happening for a young child in this age group, adolescence, um, it, it is a big hormonal shift. And actually their body clock goes later. And sometimes no matter what time we try and do bedtime, they actually, they're not able to get to sleep sooner. Mm. And again, there's a lot of dysregulation that occurs here. And of course, you may also be aware that sometimes there are, you know, campaigns to start school age, and not so much in this country, but in like other countries like the States, because school start times affect amount, the amount of sleep that our, our young children are getting. So I suppose, look, what I would be promoting is we'll, we'll understand that they were looking for somewhere in that range of sleep. We understand yeah. that that's what they need. But let's then say, what can we do to try and get them the best that they can get? And as a result of that, it's about creating what we might call sleep opportunity. So the opportunity for them to get to sleep. And of course, there's so many pressures, extracurricular activity, you know, athletics, sports, um, anything else that they're interested in. And of course, then there's this huge workload, the study that needs to be done. So again, it's hard. So it's really, though, acknowledge how much they need. What we're really focused on maybe is the quality of sleep and the processes that we put in place to facilitate the, that they can get enough sleep for the, for them to feel and be optimally mm. functioning. And and you're 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 so right to recognise that the pressure you know with the sporting thing and it's great for them health wise. They have the homework from school and all else besides. I have to mention though the bogey man or woman in the room. 
the mobile phone. How do you deal with this, Lucy? Please help. Oh, well, I don't actually have the real answers for you. Look, I've got four children, you know, 21, 18, uh, 16 and 12. So we've been down this road a Mm. billion times. It's, it's hard. And I suppose, look, early intervention is key. Maybe, you know, when the mobile phone is becoming introduced is to maybe have some ground rules in place from very early on, you know, because we do know that there is a big impact of the phone in the bedroom and, and delayed sleep and disturbed sleep as well. And I suppose this is where, you know, boundary setting comes into play again for us as parents, um, collaboration with our young person. And I suppose on that basis, I do believe that it is helping our young people understand the importance of their sleep and the impact that lack of sleep is going to have on them. And sometimes it's worth even just drilling down into the things that they're particularly interested in. So if, for example, you have a child who's very much into sport, well, their sporting um, ability will be impacted by sleep. The more sleep they get in terms of their needs, the better performance they'll have out on the field. Or it could be that they want to do well in school. So again, sitting with them, explaining it, helping them understand and learn. Because without their understanding and cooperation, we're batting against the tide. We're ruining the relationship, you know, when it comes to sleep time and trying to trade, train in the phones or trade them in or have a rule that they go off by a certain time. It's difficult. But I suppose it's like any parenting kind of, you know, activity, we've got to now collaborate with the young person and we've got to try and also figure out if we take stuff away, like if we want the phone off by a certain time, and look, the recommendations are screen time one to two hours before sleep time because otherwise we're stimulating the waking part of the brain. But what I'm proposing is that maybe we take away and replace and replace with, you know, connection, engagement, other relaxing activities that we can lead up to sleep time. Because sometimes taking away and leaving a void creates then a lot of tension. Mm. Because you're right. If you can sit down and communicate and say, look, and and they'll look, they're not silly either. They'll know themselves. This lack of sleep is impacting adversely on the different areas you mentioned there as well. And ultimately, beyond this, you know, as you have to say, the exams move on in life and everything, it certainly is going to have an impact. Do you have to leave it up to them, though, to do it voluntary, to knock the phone off? Is You're asking them to do that for you and trust them. Well, I suppose it depends on where, yeah, like I guess within your parenting style, yes. you know, you will de- you will de- decipher a way that feels right, that isn't impacting your relationship with each other, but is creating that firm boundary around when gadgets go off and, you know, when they go on to do not disturb. Because, you know, sometimes you can have, you know, that arrangement with your child, but the child on the other end of the phone yes. is on Snapchat all night and things are beeping and chirping throughout the course of the night. So I suppose... I think it's really about a co-creation between the adult and the child. And don't forget, for it's a big responsibility through the lifespan, this parenting piece, isn't it? And that we're providing the context. And of course, they're making big decisions, right? Mm. They're trying to find, figure out who they are as themselves as an individual. They're trying to express themselves. They're trying to fit in with the crowd. And there's a lot of big decisions. So sometimes those big decisions are helpful if they're taken off them. You yes. know, that we have said in this house, this is what's going to happen around this sort of time. And look, as, as, we, as the gadgets go off, will we do a board game? Will we do a, will we do a word search together? And sometimes if we do per, parent um, engagement instead yeah. of the thing, and I know, listen, don't get me wrong, Jerry, I know how busy it is, so I don't want it to sound like, you know, I have this idealistic view. But again, if we're trying to initiate strong, positive habits for good 
positive outcomes, then sometimes we've got a little bit of labour on the front end mm. on our part to try and initiate those good little habits going forward. Yeah, you know, parents have to parent. You know, at times you can't abdicate that responsibility. At times you do have to lay down the law. And if you can do it in a collaborative manner and that it works two-way, it is far, far better for sure. I'm sure you've seen, and look, you mentioned that research that's happened in the West of Ireland. This lack of sleep for the phone is one thing. Other reasons as well it can be catastrophic. Ah, yeah, and I suppose, look, it's difficult. And then, do you know what? Even just us talking today about the impact of lack, lack of sleep, I know how that might make a parent feel as they're driving in their car mm. to pick up their child, you know. And again, just to be gentle and compassionate with ourselves that we are doing the best that we can around this. And I suppose there are things that we can do to really help. You know, just small adjustments in terms of creating the right relationships with sleep, like the environment that we're creating for the young for the young person. You know, that the bedroom is uncluttered, is within reason, that, that we don't just use the bed as a hangout area, study area, and then expect the body to sleep when it's time to sleep, that we create a differential between the activities, that we have a lead up to sleep time, that we create these transitions, very similar to the way we used to create the transitions for our very young cohort, that mm. those themes continue into this age range and beyond. Like every one of us ideally benefits from a pre-sleep ritual as well as a post-sleep ritual. And I suppose I always circle back to the regular wake times, exposure to bright and natural light, getting out there, getting active first thing in the morning. These things help set the tone for bedtime. And of course, some things are out of our control, like the level of work that they have like the curriculum extra the time of the training and things like that but again we can there are things we can modify looking at what they're eating look what they're drinking you know organizing that we don't have heavy meals two or three hours before bedtime because that also makes getting to sleep difficult too yeah because your metabolism is working away tell me about it on that and uh, sleep is a difficult matter but look the message today is there is a way there when you have a will there is a way and if everybody you know works together in collaboration with this it can make life so much better but as you say I'm listening to you there it is a real challenge and it's not easy and you're not underestimating that in any way how can they find out more your brilliant website is it yeah, my sleepmatters.ie and then the good news is that is in collaboration with planetyouth.ie who've got brilliant resources on their website. We have an SPHE module being delivered out to secondary schools in the next week or two so that the children, the young people themselves can begin to do a module in relation to their sleep. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Um, to again, help them become invested in, in collaboration with their parents who are going to always be absorbing the information as well. Great stuff. You're fantastic. Keep doing the wonderful work that you've been at now for years and years. And we'll all sleep more soundly, Lucy. That's the idea, Jerry. Thank you as always. Lovely to chat with you. And you too. Take care of yourself. That's the wonderful Lucy Wolf there. Check her website out, sleepmatters.ie. All the information is there. It's a devil. If you can't sleep at any age, it really is an awful situation to find yourself in. And people are craving for the magic bullet or whatever that'll help with that but certainly I know it myself the bloody phone there's no doubt about it I put it on the silent and throw it away but I'm a devil for last thing at night and first thing in the morning checking it it's just that habit that I've got in as well but during the night if you want to sleep you got to keep it away from you and I can only imagine with all those alerts going off if you have those on she wouldn't get an hour's unbroken sleep with it Superstar. superstar on your late lunch this Monday afternoon. And a superstar has his birthday today, yes. Mr. Joe Biden is 81 today. The US president is 81 years young today. And, of course, the debate goes on. He's uh, intending running again for president against another youth in the form of Mr. Trump. Are they too old? What do you think, Louise? Are they too old? Uh, either or to be president again in their 80s. What do you think about this debate? You'd wonder, wouldn't you? Mm. Mm. I, I would say so. I'm not ageist in, but in, no. in any fashion or manner, I but have to But it's a say. huge role and I'd say it demands a lot of energy. Yeah. I think the American people would be better served if both of them stepped away and let some of the younger crew on both sides. Have you anybody in mind? Well, I, I, I think I see uh, Nikki Pelly, uh, isn't that her name, with the mm-hmm. uh, on the Republican side who, who who's running there. Um, you know, uh, on the Democratic side, it's hard to see a candidate emerging. But look, at a candidate would emerge and they have plenty of younger people as well who can go in there. But I just don't know. I don't know, really. You're right. It's a huge responsibility. Mm. It really, really is. And you need to be 
uh, and the peak of your health to be in a position. But look at look at the world over. A lot of leaders are of a, a, a more senior yeah. age, you know. Yeah, and I know experience counts for a lot. Yes, it does. It does. But... But, you know, can they... Have they got a really grasp of, mm. you know, I, I, I think, everything going on? I, I honestly think, no. I think I would say to either of them, and I have no time for Trump, um, but I think uh, he and Biden uh, should step away and let younger people get in there and contest the election and let's see the best man or woman win the contest. There's a lovely message, isn't it, Louise? Yeah. Let, let me read it to the listeners. A little earlier on the show, if you weren't with us, John Kieran's was telling us the story of Ben Dunn coming to his aid when he was seriously ill. Listen to this. Jerry. we were away on holiday when my partner's father took ill and subsequently passed away. The insurance company, which I won't name, had assured us that we were well covered. And uh, we for this um, we were well covered for this unlikely event. Uh, but when we went to deal with them, they began putting obstacles in our way with regard to our claim. At that time, Ben Dunn wrote a weekly column in the Irish Sun, part of which dealt with consumer rights. I emailed, I emailed Ben on a Saturday and had a phone call from the insurance company the following Tuesday, sorting out the whole matter. Uh, with an apology for being insensitive. The email I sent was printed in the sun the following Saturday on Ben's page. So that's the kind of power he had. This is Paul Indrada. Isn't that a lovely story? It really, really mm. is. Thank you for getting in touch with us and telling us that story as well. You're in lovely him. stories about him yeah. today, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. And, and another thing I want to say about him, I, I'm almost sure that his father, Ben Senior, uh, began his life working in Drada. Uh, I, I'm oh. almost 100% sure of this. My wife's mother, uh, Nano Keegan, uh, actually worked for Ben Dunn Sr. Uh, when he came to work in Drogheda in another retail establishment many moons ago before he set up Dunn's doors. So he, his formative years in retail happened it here in Drogheda. Yes, yes. And, and I know Drogheda was one of the early stores as well. Just a little aside there to uh, Ben Dunn's passing. Uh, anyway, one of the big characters of Irish life uh, passed away yesterday, the news announced all right. And on another sad note, Louise, Jean Kerrigan, you know Jean, mm-hmm. back page of the Sunday Independent. Yeah. His final column appeared yesterday. Oh, no way. He's gone. Just Jean, like that. Yeah, just like that. He's gone. He's he's finished as a weekly columnist. Now, that's not to say he may come back from time to time, mm. but I always enjoyed reading him. You did? Every single Sunday and I read him. was his last column? Well, his last column Good. was really... Uh, bidding farewell and saying that, you know, after all this time, it looks like the country could have a new government for the first time ever, mm-hmm. not involving Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael next time round. But he did caution, they'll get an opportunity, but if they mess up, they'll be eaten up by the electorate. You know who we're talking about there. Anyway, uh, that was sort of the final tone of his last column. But I hope he'll be back from time to time. I always enjoyed reading him. He cut to the chase. He called out wrong in the country. I didn't agree with him always, but that's what a column is about. You may not agree, mm-hmm. you may disagree, agree or whatever, but it prompts thought and conversation. Their opinion. Yes, and I wish Jean Kerrigan all the best and I hope we haven't heard the last of him. Late lunch, LMFM Radio. You won't hear the last of us for about another hour. Stay there. My next guest is a Tipperary man, but he has huge associations with the Northeast because his business, Cool Tech, that makes Hurleys or Commands, is based in Navin. I'm delighted to say hello this afternoon to Tom Wright. How are you, Tom? Hello, how are you? I'm really good. Thank you for joining me on Late Lunch today. You played minor hurling for Tip. 
Well, I did. I was born in Tipperary, and everybody hurls in Tipperary, so I did. I played minor hurling. Unfortunately, I got injured that particular year, and then I was away in college. And in Tipperary, well, no, I still played with the club after that. But mm. uh, I suppose that that was the the top of my um, hurling ability, or whatever you want to say, like that. Yeah. Yeah. But anyhow, I did. Yeah. But only for the injury. The injury. Who knows what might have happened beyond that? But look at uh, life. Then took you to Offaly. You, you became a teacher and went there teaching. I did. Yeah, that's right. Nineteen sixty-two. Actually, I began teaching in Offaly. It, it was uh, an important enough move at the time because uh, Bournemouth and ESB were beginning to expand there, and there was uh, lots of opportunity for young fellows to train as apprentices and so on. So that's where I stayed then. Yeah, all your life you taught there. What was the school you taught in? Well, it was a vocational school at the time. It was a community school there now, but at that particular time, there were, it was a rural vocational school, okay. for band vocational school, it was called. And was the hurling there? Did they play hurling there? Were you involved no, in the game? No, there was no hurling there at the time. No, not at the time. It was all all football. Right. And actually, I introduced hurling, and it may have something to do with the beginning of Cool Tech, because uh, trying to repair hurleys and all that kind of stuff, the, the timber doesn't last too well over winter time, and mm. uh, it put it into my head at that particular time that we should have something more substantial for the kids playing. Yeah, that's interesting because I played a bit of hurling myself with the Tones here in Drogheda Wolf Tones and I remember when Wavin came out with their Harley. Do you remember the Wavin Harley? Oh, I do, I do. I remember Wavin, yeah. And I looked at some other specifications at the time, but unfortunately the materials weren't... Uh, it was okay to a degree, but uh, there was a sting in it and the material didn't wasn't really suitable. It, mm. it wasn't matching up to ash, if you get me. That's the, that's the standard for hurling everywhere. Is the best ash. Yes. So, yeah, we went. We went. That, we went back to it. Yeah, we went back to it because we tried it, Tom, and like you said, it just wasn't cutting the mustard with us. So we went back to the yeah, ash at the, the time. Hand off you as far as they can Aye, you. Yeah, it certainly would. That's yeah. for that's for sure. Anyway, look at you. You uh, set up the hurling of the school. You're involved in the sport. I know you play a good bit of golf as well. And on you move till you retired. Tell us about the Cool Tech idea. How did it happen? And what is Cool Tech? Tell our listeners. Oh, well, yeah, Cooltech is, is this trade name for the synthetic hurley. We call it the Cooltech. Now it's got popular, so people refer to it now as the Cooltech. Mm. Uh, the name, the, I, I, I had a partner in the business called John Grehan. He worked in industry and was familiar with synthetic materials and that kind of stuff. And he lived in a townland called Cool, C-O-O-L-E, which sounds like CU Fadel cool for a goal. Mm. And then I, I worked in the school, the technical school, <laughs> right. colloquially known as the tech. And mm. also it implied a technological thing. So we put the two together and we called the thing cool tech. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. And, and yeah, what, yeah. what, what, your hurl, uh, did, did golf play a part in this, you know, with the new materials in golf clubs and well, that? Well, it, 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 it did, actually, the, the beginning of it happened like that. We were out, we were playing golf in our local club bar one day. Uh, this is Johnny, myself, uh, 
and the footballer Tony McTagg would be to the older listeners. He'd well be, known, well known. It'd be well known, yeah. And anyhow, the, we were talking about the hurling match and the, 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 the distances this ball was going and some lads hitting it well and so forth and and comparing it to our drive in the Gulf. Mm. So some fella said, I wonder if I took a run at this off the tee, would I be able to hit it further? Mm. And then another, I said, oh yeah, like a, a line ball and hurling. Oh yeah, I remember a famous one and a, a guy hit a ground ball in Thurles one day, uh, Fenton of Cork, and he, he scored a goal. It's in the annals of, it's one of the important it's of history for yeah. the guy. And then there were a number of lads able to score a point from sideline balls and so forth. And then we looked at the clubs, which were uh, carbon fibre. They're nearly all the drivers and most of the irons are carbon fibre shafts now. Mm. So we said, oh, why not something like this for hurling? You know, Ash was getting scarce. Yes. And... Uh, well, that was the germ of the idea, and we started uh, looking it up then at that stage. Uh, Johnny uh, w- w- was working with an international business and had some contacts uh, in China and so on. And as it happened, uh, the leaving certificate in engineering was introduced around that time or a bit earlier in the school, so we were trained to do projects which would be you have to investigate and analyze it and all this kind of thing so anyhow we came up with the prototype and we met we got in touch with a supplier in taiwan who could do the kind of thing we wanted and uh, we had someone's made and then we had to do a little bit of tweaking here and there but eventually we arrived at uh, what we were satisfied with. Uh, we were doing this, uh, incidentally, in conjunction with Croke Park. Yes. We, we said we would uh, uh, cooperate in anything they would and let them know what was going on. So there had been an attempt at at a, a carbon fibre or a synthetic thing earlier by uh, some of the engineering people in the University of Galway under the auspices of Croke Park. But uh, it didn't succeed anyhow. But yours did. uh, Pat Daly, who is the hurling person in Croke Park, offered us the the research that had been done up to date. That was helpful, all right. Mm. And the rest is history because now this cool tech uh, horror come on is a reality. What's it like compared to the ash stick, honestly? Well, it is absolutely to replicate the ash, to to get approval from Croke Park at the time, uh, our our brief was to replicate the ash hurley. And that we did. We we compared it in, uh, uh, actually, we had to tweak it back a bit. It was hitting the ball a bit too far. <laughs> so it had to replicate the ash. We were allowed to take the best ash hurley for distance and the strongest ash hurley on the, on, in play to compare it for strength or fracture. And that we did. We did some of the tests ourselves and a lot of the other stuff in conjunction with that loan, uh, IT. 
there were vulture schemes going on from Enterprise Ireland. There still are at the time, and we used a vulture to get uh, assistance from at Law and IT. Mm. But your um, Harley, just tell me about the stick itself. Wh- who's using it now? Wh- to what level has it been used? The biggest... Well, I'm a hurling enthusiast. I think Dee and John would be probably a bit more into mar- marketing and that. But I think the biggest uh, contribution it had was in the underage hurling. Because at that time, all the underage hurlies were... If you, you might have found it, or the kids would find it anyhow, that they were made from very poor material. Mm. Never the best of the three, and maybe not even ash at all. So... Uh, with uh, the, the coordinator, the national hurling coach at the time, a man called Paddy Butler, who I'm sure would have given lots of sessions in Mead and Loud, uh, we uh, made it, made it uh, um, possible for the, these young people, especially in, in the non-hurling counties, to get it, and it took on from there. So. It's very it's difficult to break. There's no it's safe because there's no hoops or anything required, yeah. and it hits the ball. Well, I'd say something further than what they were using up to that. So the underage game has adopted this extensively. Do you ever see it becoming Absolutely. part and parcel of the senior game? Well, the senior game too. Uh, now, I won't say there's a problem because there are lots of teams. You, you uh, use it, but many of the teams uh, use their local ash hurley makers yes. to provide kind of personalised hurleys f- for them. Uh, and now the goalkeepers, to a great extent, use our hurley for poking out because it's m- more reliable, it's more accurate. And... Uh, so you're saying uh, to me that, that, so, so, yeah, so some of the senior keepers are actually using your stick. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, great, yeah, great. Yeah, okay, yeah. so it is part of the senior game as well. Uh, yeah, the, the, uh, no, the, the, uh, some of the, an Auburn team there recently, uh, three or four, three years or four years ago, they won the All-Ireland Intermediate title and they, nine of them were, were using the, the cool tech. Fantastic. Order. This is wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. And the business is based in Navan. Well, when I retired then, uh, my daughter Deirdre and her husband, John Dunahoo, yeah, they decided to take it over. Okay. And uh, they're, they're running it now. And right. I must say, they're much better at marketing than, <laughs> than I was. <laughs> oh, but here now, don't knock, the, don't knock the main man yourself, Tom. You're the guys that came up with the idea, the concept and applied what you saw in the golf game to hurling and it's going from strength to strength. Tell us about this commemorative stick uh, that you've made. Uh, uh, yeah, when, when uh, we were doing the, the business with the college uh, investigations and that, they got, got the idea that they'd get uh, Hurleys uh, with photographs or logos or printed over to present some dignitaries that would be visiting. Like if they had a, a politician or a minister or yes. somebody coming in, they, they'd be showing off their enterprise as well. We actually got a, a, a prize from Enterprise Ireland 
uh, when Conor Lennon was uh, Minister for Industry or wherever mm. it was at the time, uh, the college got got uh, got the prize the first in Ireland for the the contribution to the hurley. Yeah, but this particular so, one about how, this particular uh, one about Cusack. Tell us about yes, this one. Th- th- that's that's what that's how it happened. And at the centenary time, uh, the, with Michael Cusack, and there was things about it. We set, I, we got the idea. And there's a local printer here who, who uh, did the artwork and that for us to impress it on, on the stick. And then I composed a couple of, a bit of a, a bit of a, a history. Yes, I, I'm looking at it here. It's beautiful. It on, so. I have to say it's beautiful. In the in the boss of the Harley, uh, you have the picture of uh, Michael Cusick and your little poem is there. Read me those little lines, will you? Say those lines for our listeners. <laughs> Oh my God! You have me now because I don't. And in, in '84 in Thurles, with Davin by his side, he brought the birth to birth the GAA to give Ireland back its pride. Yeah, lovely, spot on. You got it. Yeah. No bother to you. And that's what's embossed on the Hurley with the picture as well. How many of these have been made? Well, not not they're they're in they're 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 not on mass production now at okay. the moment. They're, okay. Okay. I don't know where they're going to go. It's up to the up to the lads now with that. Yes. The, I had a little. We had a holiday place down in Carron in County Clare, which is the birthplace of Michael Cusick. And there's actually a fantastic interpretive centre down now. If any of your listeners are on holiday down that way, it's well worth a visit. And Loud and Mead, and that they're represented in the in the centre as well, and and mm. the, the history of. The GA and Michael Cusick is there in the old cottage that he was born in, all that kind of stuff. Is there a stick of yours there? There's a stick of mine going to be there now. The lads are only doing the thing now. At oh, the great, moment. great, oh, great. Oh, there is, yeah, there is. Yeah, there is. There is. I chap running a hostel down there. Lovely. There is one there. Already, there is. Yeah. And, and it's going to be a limited edition of these. And I, I suppose, from the business point of view, your daughter and her husband will look at this. And there's many applications that can come from this. Listen, I have to leave it there today with you. Lovely to chat to you. Well done on uh, coming up Thank with you the very cool much tech. Not at too. all. Oh, delighted Stop to catch you, up with yeah. you, Tom. Uh, I won't play you for a fiver in golf. What's your handicap? <laughs> oh, look at them. I'm old now. 21, I think, is my handicap. My God, I'll now. tell you one thing. You're some boy at the young age you are. <laughs> Listen, thanks for joining me on the show today. Lovely to catch up with you, Tom. Thank you very much. God bless you. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yes, Jerry. back in the 70s, I even found it very hard to sleep, even though the bedroom was jet black. But when I did fall into a deep sleep, I used to dream. Oh, dreams. Do you dream much, Louise? Do you ever dream much when you're asleep? I had had weird dreams at times. I think there was too much going through my old head. I bet you you dream. I do. Yeah, because I think it's with us. Do you know the way our minds are always on the go with this Mm, job that we do? No, we're always looking and searching and keeping the ears and the antenna up. I think that carries on into your... Night time as well. I Sleep. just think it's part and parcel of it as well. Oh, listen, she's I have the weirdest things altogether. Can you remember them? I'd remember them for about five minutes, then I completely forget them. I was actually dreaming, it's something that was in my head the other night, that I was finished here. And uh, 
I'd been offered a job in one of the Dublin radio stations. I right. <laughs> must have been with Tuberty. <laughs> All that was going on with that. You know what I mean? And then I woke up and I said, oh, geez, I don't want to start that commute again. No way. Commuting. And you know, you, did you actually, like, think about the commute before you realised it was a dream? Or did you kind of kind of go, oh, that's a dream because I wouldn't be going commuting anyway? I, I was dreaming, right? And then I woke up in a sweat thinking I was back <laughs> commuting to Dublin. <laughs> this is so handy here. Do you know what I mean? To yeah, my yeah. life. I'm, and most of my life, I've always worked very, I've always lived uh, I've been fortunate to live close to where I worked in, in my life. Only some, no, I did, I did travel and did commute as well. And, you know, I used to remember Sunday evenings when you'd be commuting, mm. Louise. Mm. I'd have oh, a yeah. sick Dread. feeling in my stomach Sunday yeah. evening. Here we go again. And I, I feel sorry for anyone who has to commute. You know, it's a it's an onerous task, especially if you're in and out of Dublin, as you know here. It's very, very difficult indeed. Anyway, that was something I did remember that recently. Late lunch, LMFM radio, heading up to two in the company. Three to three even. I'm, I'm dreaming again. It's three <laughs> o'clock, folks. Unhealthy. It's Anne-Marie and it's unhealthy. Yes, it is indeed. Well, your love is worse, worse than cigarettes Even if I had 20 in my hands Oh, baby, your touch, it hurts more than hangovers Thank you indeed to Porrick Rath. Porrick uh, said, I was intrigued by John Cairn's story earlier in the show about Ben Don. We in Clarehead had the pleasure of Ben's generosity. Back in 2002, uh, we met him at Clarehead Lifeboat Station and he gave a sizable donation on the day because, you see, he was a keen sailor, Jerry, and he had a large yacht of his own. Ben Dunn Sr., incidentally, employed a lot of uh, Clarehead contractors to build and renovate Dunn stores around Ireland. Uh, this gave much employment in the Drogheda and Clarehead areas for years. He was a quiet, <coughs> excuse me, and unassuming gentlemen, <clears throat> may Ben Dunn rest in peace. Thank you indeed for that lovely message, Porrick, this afternoon. Just shows you lots of people would read stories about Ben Dunn that you'd never normally hear about, about his generosity, as John Kieran said a little bit earlier on. Now, let's give this a crack at the start of the week on Late Lunch. Five, four, three, two... One. Counting down the top five songs from this week of yesteryear. And today it's... The number five from this week in 1993. And I was looking up this song today and would you believe it's featured in the Guinness World Records of top British singles of all time. Because you see, it sold 1.263 million copies Amazing. I'm talking about All Saints. And at number five on our chart today, it was On The Way Down. It was a big, big number one. Yes, Never Ever is the song. It was written uh, by All Saints member Charzne Lewis, along with co-writers Robert uh, Jazeri and Sean Mather, and produced by the wonderful Cameron McVeigh and Magnus Fiends. It was released on the 10th of November 1997 as the second single from their debut album called All Saints. Big, big seller in the Guinness World Records. Here it is, our number five from 1993. It's All Saints. A few questions that I need to know. How you could ever hurt me so I need to know what I've done wrong And how long it's been going on Was it that me on the phone? Ooh, you can write it in a letter, babe Cause I really need to know You can write it in a letter, babe 
Old Saints and Never Ever, our number five from this week in 1993, had been a big number one and selling an awful lot of records. Back then, we'll bring you a 4-3-2-1 over the coming days on Late Lunch Roundabout this time. Final break this Monday afternoon and after the break, we're joined by ace documentary maker Alan Bradley. I spoke to my next guest back in 2021 when he produced a brilliant documentary about men in Ireland living with eating disorders. Before that, in 2020, we also talked uh, Sean Boyle. And I actually met Sean yesterday afternoon. Um, Sean exploring the life of legendary GA manager, our own Sean Boylan. And he's back now, this day week on RT1, with a really touching one. It's called Patrick, A Young Traveller Lost. I'm delighted to say hello again to Alan Bradley. Hi, Alan. Hi, Jerry. How are you? I'm good. This is uh, a really sensitive matter. You're touching on um, suicide in the travelling community. Is it unspoken? Is it not highlighted enough? What brought you to this? Um, I suppose I actually went to a talk that a man called Liam McNiff gave in Kells a year ago about um, the traveller community and some of the issues facing them and I was shocked at a lot of the statistics I was hearing Um, and one of those was that more than one in ten travellers die by suicide uh, which is shocking and I think possibly something a lot of people aren't aware of Um, so I kind of reached out to me the traveller network and Nell McDonough there does great work and we had a chat and I suppose I just started to understand that it is a huge issue facing the community. Um, you know, pretty much every traveller sadly has lost a family member, at least one, to suicide. And it feels like perhaps the wider population isn't that aware of the issue. Mm. So with this film, we hope to kind of draw attention to that. You certainly will. Um, Patrick, just briefly tell the story of Patrick. So it's a, it's a... It's a difficult story. Um, Patrick was 12 years old, um, and last year he lost his life to suicide. Um, it's a difficult story to tell, but we felt it was an important one, and Patrick's family decided that they wanted to make something positive out of a desperate situation and share his story so people can hopefully learn from it and, and you know reach out for help if they need it um, through seeing the sort of devastating impact Patrick's loss has had on his family. 12 years of age, that's, you know, the point of this. A child, a child, Alan. Yeah. Yeah. And the same week Patrick passed away, um, two other traveller children passed away by suicide um, under 15 years of age. So I suppose Patrick's death sort of sounded an alarm in the community that this had reached a level where it was time to really start pushing it forward and talking about it because something needs to change. Mm. Uh, shocking shocking is all I can say and so sensitive as yeah. well you mentioned uh, Patrick's parents was it yeah. difficult you know to, to get people to talk because you went uh, near and far I see with all the people you approached starting with uh, of course uh, the Mead uh, Traveller uh, Network yeah we did and we also um, there's a man called Bernie Power from Kilkenny um, and he shares his story, uh, which is perhaps more hopeful because although he had um, struggles, he sort of did reach out for help and has come out the other end. Um, yeah, pa- uh, Patrick's parents, we approached them and they, you know, we took it very gently um, and we, we filmed this over a year, spread out, and we took our time um, and sort of did it in a way they felt comfortable with. But as I said, they were quite keen to mm. get this story out there and they hope that other families won't end up in the same position they did. Mm. 
it's um it's to be admired that you've done this and that they have engaged with you. I take it it is it is the awareness, it is talking about this, it is yeah. telling the story that you hope down the road will make a difference. Yeah, exactly. We hope um, both for the traveller community themselves to, to have the only people in the film are from the traveller community. So mm. it is a chance for people from the community to have a platform to tell their own stories themselves in their own words. So I suppose that's the first part and to, to connect with the community in that way and start to talk about these things perhaps a bit more openly. Um, and then also to make the wider population aware of yeah. the situation and perhaps a broader understanding of the difficulties the traveller community face um, and perhaps a little bit more empathy as well and understanding there hopefully and, and through the, the stories that are featured in the film. And it's it's I want to say about this, it's applicable to all of us. You know what I mean? This is applicable across yeah. the board and this is focusing in on an area of particular uh, worry and concern and, and the numbers involved as well. In, in your, your, your experience now in producing these wonderful award winning documentaries, may I say, you're an actor in your own right as well, producer, one of the most, you know, sensitive you've ever approached? Yeah, definitely. This has been probably the most difficult and sensitive piece that I've done. Um, there's so much to bear in mind, particularly when you're dealing with the suicide of such a young person um, and trying to balance the the importance of sharing the story, but also in a way that's responsible and actually helps the, the cause rather than um, causes any more distress. So it has been a difficult balancing act, but um, I think you know we're happy with the finished piece and we do hope that people will... Um, get something from it that's positive, although it is a very devastating story. Mm. Yeah, we're really looking forward to it. So it's on this night week. We will be reminding listeners again about it here on the show. It's on this night week uh, on RTE1 at half past nine on the Monday evening, but we will be coming back to it uh, in, in advance of it. Um, I, I know and uh, people who've uh, been involved with you and are expecting this, you've done a great job with this again and you've handled it mightily and people will see that uh, come next week. Congratulations okay. to you on doing it and, and, and to the parents of Patrick, who, you know, uh, Michelle and Pat, yeah. who, who play such a pivotal role in this. Yeah, thanks, Jerry. No, thanks. I really appreciate that, and thanks for having me on. Not at all, Alan. You're great. Keep uh, keep on rocking. Keep doing what you're doing. You produce wonderful work, and uh, I I understand uh, why it is award winning because it simply is brilliant. Thanks for joining me at this time. Thanks, Jerry. Take appreciate care, yourself. Bye bye, bye bye. That's Alan Bradley there. And again, it is a week tonight, but taken out of it uh, set your recorders or whatever it's called Patrick a young traveller lost it is powerful stuff it really really is and we congratulate him again on uh, his achievement in producing uh, such a wonderful programme and that's almost it on Late Lunch for this Monday afternoon thank you for joining us on the show and thanks to all our guests who were with us through uh, the afternoon and just another one there before we go Julio Donahue speaking to us top of the show about that story from America where uh, parents were charged because their children were noisy in the restaurant just a message has come in there from listening to say oh my god Jerry uh, I can't believe that story you opened with today uh, surely the restaurant should have a big big sign up or notice informing people before they sit down to eat that this charge could be levied upon them I couldn't agree with you it should be there there should be no excuse anyway that's it today on the show Eddie Caffrey's coming next with The Drive here on LMFM Radio we'll be back tomorrow 1.30 with your late lunch have a lovely evening take care